this episode of The Interface, I speak with Phil Provost, Director of Business Development for Amphenol Borish Technologies. Phil has been with ABT for almost nine years, and we talk about his team and how superior customer service and deep customer relationships are the key to their success as a business. We talk about growing up in Eastern Michigan, then going to college in Western Michigan and playing collegiate golf. We talk about starting his career in finance for 10 years, but feeling his roots pull him towards manufacturing and ultimately ABT. We talk about his busy family life helping to raise four young children. And we talk about his Desert Island album, book, and movie, and ask the question, what would Tristan do? This is The Interface. Do you have a Halloween costume picked out? Um, I do, actually. Um, so I don't know if you remember the sales meeting a few years back, but... Um, sales meetings, what are they? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever heard of these. It was 2016 or 15, I think. I was part of the the bomber group. Oh yeah, and we all we all had our flight suits. Yep. So that has kind of been my recurring um, Halloween costume when I take the kids out trick or treating. Because uh, if it's cold, I can I can put a ton of stuff underneath it, and if it's if it's warm, then I just roll up my sleeves. Yeah. Either way, I, I kind of feel cool for a night. So. so it's conducive to layering, which is nice. Yes. Which is a good Absolutely. way of keeping warm. So. You're the uh, director of business development at ABT. Tell me a little bit about your role. Yeah, so um, I've been in this role a little over a year, about a year and a half now, and I oversee our sales, um, our sales and marketing team. So I have five five individuals on my team, really structured kind of regionally to support the AMAL sales team. So our mission is uh, to, you know, find value add assemblies within the major OEMs in the industry that we can uh, we can support and build. So build their product at a, at a lower cost than maybe they could internally. So, uh, you know, at ABT we're we're a con- contract manufacturer. So we we take customer designs and and we build them with uh, you know a high high level of on time delivery and, and quality. So uh, my team really is focused on the partnerships with the MAO sales team and uh, them kind of getting us a seat at the table to talk to those, uh, those OEMs in the military and defense, uh, military and aerospace industry to make sure that we uh, can explain our value. When you talk to customers on a daily basis um, or just on a regular basis, and you're talking to people that don't know a lot about Borish, what do you highlight as your major capabilities that you're most proud of as a business? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at, at ABT, really, our mindset is to be, you know, the, the North American leader in, in high-end cable and wire harness and electronic assembly. Mm-hmm. So our, uh, you know, our, our selling point to our customers is, you know, our capabilities, obviously, number one, but number two is just a superior customer service that we add. So as a contract manufacturer, you know, there's, there's not a lot of capabilities that other contract manufacturers have that we don't have and a lot of capabilities that we have that other contract manufacturers don't have. But our service, our, our customer service team and their responsiveness and our flexibility within our organization is probably our, our, our largest attribute, our people, right? Our willingness to open our factory to, um, to our customer and really offer our factory as an extension to, uh, to the customer's factory. So that's a, that's a big a big point of conversation with most of our customers. Yeah, I mean, customer service is is huge for any organization. You want to make sure that your 
<laughs> you're good at it, right? I mean, it's no other way to say it, but you want to make sure you're good at it. Why is it so important for your particular type of business to have really quality, thorough, across-the-board customer service? Uh, because our customers are, you know, their schedules are extremely volatile. And a lot of times they're making decisions based on the responsiveness of the customer or of their suppliers and their ability to support those volatile schedules. So if we, if we have a lack of flexibility, then, you know, that additional service or that additional value that we add um, kind of goes away and they can really move that, move that product to another contract manufacturer that is more rigid in their, uh, in their management on a day-to-day -day basis. So our flexibility and our service is really what allows us to, um, to partner with, with our customers on, you know, both long-term production and design and development projects. So how do you structure that then with your team and, and what are the different types of uh, programs and systems that you have put in place or procedures to make sure that you're constantly staying on track of of those tasks and those actions that need to be done in order to complete these projects and these these orders, because as you said, you're a very different type of Amphenol business uh, than than a lot of others in that you can't grab an Amphenol Borish Technologies catalog, go to page twelve and find a part number and go, I want a hundred of those. It it's not that exactly. at all. Um, it's exactly. a long gestation period just for the quoting process, let alone right. the, you know, then the design engineering and the actual manufacturing and testing of the product. So what are some yeah. of the things that you put in place that might be a little bit different than a commodity type business yep. that other Amphenol divisions would be similar to? You know, one of, one of the things that, you know, when, when Bob Burnett's our general manager, took over as, as their general manager. It's been about five years now. He was, he was very passionate about separating our sales organization from our program management organization mm. and having that ability for our sales team to um, seek opportunities to help grow the organization and our program management team focused on launching and building the customer relationships long-term. Mm. So um, I actually spent, prior to the role I'm in now, I spent three years as our director of program management and when I moved into the director of um, business development, actually Amberly Kais on our team took over as the director of program management. And we continue that separation today because that, that service is so important. So our program management team has a very thorough process of integrating new product into our facility. Mm -hmm. So we have a phase gate and NPI, a new product implementation process right. that has a phase gate process that follows um, a very rigorous process that our team has to, you know, kind of do a checks and balances throughout the throughout the process to ensure that we're we're abiding by the customer requirements each step of the way, and our customers are usually a huge part of that new product implementation process. We invite them into our factories to do on-the-job training with us. Mm -hmm. We'll go to their factory sometime to learn a little bit about about the product because a lot of times our customers are actually moving moving some of the product out of their building and moving it into our building. So mm. it's product that maybe they've built for years and they're looking at outsourcing options. So they have a lot of familiarity with it. So um, when we have that structured approach to introducing new product within our factory, it really, a light bulb goes off with our customers and they're like, ah, these guys, they get it. You know, they get it. They understand the importance of following each individual 
drawing note, work instruction, test requirement, and in, in kind of, you know, step-by-step process. You know, I put it, to put it in simple terms, it's like, you know, a lot of times buying a, buying something from Ikea and going through the instructions yeah. and building it one by one. Like if you throw the instructions away and you just say, I'm going to figure this out, then, you know, a month later, the desk falls apart. But uh, definitely uh, having that structured process and inviting our customer to be part of the implementation process is really important. You guys are basically linked at the hip the entire time, um, which is much different than a lot of other divisions. Just within, like, say, for example, military and, military and aerospace, like you and I are uh, familiar with the most, um, and some of the other divisions around Amphenol, which a large part of them are transactional. It's someone places an order, it's an existing part, we build it, and it ships, and there could be little or zero communication between the customer and Amphenol. In your case, that's impossible. It has to be a a constant dialogue on a you know on a very regular basis to make sure that both you and the customer are satisfied at the end of the day. Yep, absolutely. And uh, you know, a, a big part of that is understanding you know what's critical for the customer and what are the kind of critical features within their product, right? So um, as much information as we can get from them. Yeah, you know, outside of the drawing package, if they have tribal knowledge on the build, it's it's really important. So that relationship's important. And also the better relationship we have with our customer, the more willing they are to take our feedback. Mm-hmm. A lot of our customers will enhance their design based on our feedback on if you change this within your your drawing package or within the notes of your drawing, it will make it more manufacturable. Or if if you know a lot of times we'll introduce some of those, some of that Amphenol content to our customers and mm-hmm. say, if you, if you remove competitor XYZ from this particular print and move it to an Amphenol content, that sure. will allow us to be, you know, more supportive and more and more um, competitive for the customer as well. So that's a, that's when things are really kind of humming on all cylinders when it comes to support of our customers and introducing new product and, and chasing new opportunities, right? When we're, we're talking to the customer about enhancing the design and we're talking about the customer to the customer about component selection. So yeah, uh, talking to Bob Brunettes a few months ago on this podcast, and we talked about that and the relationship with the other Amphenol divisions around the corporation uh, to help you guys with your builds, because you know, you're the, the high end of the, the technology scale of the system cell uh, as far as uh, Amphenol is concerned. But you talked about relationships. You know, I do remember, you know, it was what, 12, 13 years ago when Boris became part of Amphenol. I mean, I remember that because I was part of the the group early on that went to visit you guys for the first time. And one of the things oh, you okay. really, yeah, one of the things we, I think after they were acquired and, you know, some of the mm-hmm. uh, business development people came to Boris to learn all about it. Um, and one thing I picked up on very quickly was the fact that relationships were a huge part of what you guys uh, what made you guys successful and you mentioned bob and i think he was oftentimes key in that because he was really good at developing relationships and getting comfortable with the customer so they were comfortable with borish and borish was comfortable with them and i can see how that's been a major part of your success over the years Definitely, definitely, and it's uh, it's hindered us in the past year and a half because that face-to-face interaction yeah. for us as a contract manufacturer, having the customers in our factory, us being able to go to their factories is is, is so critical. It's so critical to our success. So we're we're excited that uh, we're able to, you know, support um, some some more visits now from customers, and we're getting to 
customers' factories uh, quite a bit more, and uh, it's giving us a chance to launch the new product here going into 2022. And the Gallus and Mesa uh, facilities Nogales isn't as new as Mesa is, but having those out on the West Coast uh, of the U.S., especially dealing with the majority being military customers, how much has that helped you over the last couple of years? Just having that having that home base mm-hmm. on the West Coast is huge for our uh, our credibility to customers on the West Coast. So having the facility in Nogales obviously gives us a some flexibility for lower cost manufacturing, but having the facility in Mesa has really become your perfect synergy within the AMAO group Mm -hmm. for having customers visit that campus and be able to, you know, have them tour all the different facilities and learn a little bit about each facility. So a customer may have an inquiry related specifically to um, RF cabling and might be coming to the Mesa campus to visit our friends at SV Micro or uh, Times Microwave. Mm-hmm. And uh, the AMAO team does a great, sales team does a great job of saying, hey, while, while you're here, why don't you check out the, you know, yeah. the facility of, of ABT or APC or AAO? Um, and so many times we get a tour by a customer that has, you know, we've never worked with before and they, they walk through the factory and they say, I didn't know you did that. Yeah. You know, so just yeah. having that ability to, you know, really partner in, in those customer visits is, is probably the biggest benefit for us today. You know, it's had, had some good rewards so far. So I can hear people already going, you know, yelling at you and I going, Mesa, Arizona, and Nogales, Mexico are not on the West Coast. Well, you know what they are to us. So. <laughs> they are. They're a step <laughs> they're, that way. They're close <laughs> enough. Yes, they're much closer than Michigan and upstate New York. So I, I hear you, but uh, we're going to go with their West Coast. So right, right. No, well, we do have our we do have our uh, our engineering office in Pasadena and ABT and ABT. We do have a resource there, an applications engineering resource, right. which has been great um, with some of those customers and really the sales team on the West Coast to have someone that understands kind of ABT's capabilities that can. Um, you know, just get in a car and drive and visit a customer, you know, obviously, hopefully a little bit more in the future here, but yeah. that's, uh, that facility is growing too. So that would be the true West coast, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And that that's, you know, within uh, a half hour drive or so, or 40 minute drive from the coast. So close enough. But uh, anyway, I, you know why I say that? Because I know I would hear this. <laughs> If I didn't yeah. know what, you know, the people that were doing the podcast were like, Arizona isn't the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, any, when you... Anyway. Um, all right. So a really bright future for Borish. Again, I think really getting uh, more and more comfortable over the years with, with how to integrate with, you know, new facilities and the military and aerospace and hopefully branching out into other areas as well, too. So let's back up, though. All right. We'll, we'll get off the uh, current state of affairs with Amphenol Borish and yeah. go back to young Phil, young Phil growing up in Michigan, I assume. Yes. Yeah. So, so where did um, you grow up in Michigan? Should we go through my Halloween costumes um, from, 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 from when I was a little kid to now? We could start. Yeah. I mean, if you want to start, um, I'm assuming you were probably like a Han Solo or something, right? Yeah. I was, I was usually a football player every year. Okay. Even though I never, and then, and then I was really bad at football. So that was, uh, was that costume didn't quite work out for me. So, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> so yeah, I grew up born and raised in Michigan. Um, yeah. I grew up on the East side of the state. So yeah. I actually, I grew up in the Flint area. So I, um, I was in the cradle of, uh, General Motors growing up. Right. My father worked there, you know, my, most of my uncles, um, worked there. 
you know, generations. My, my, my grandfather on my dad's side worked there. So I was born, born and raised in a manufacturing environment and automotive. So after high school, I, I, I moved to the West side of the state yeah. and, uh, have been on the West side of the state since then. So what, what's different between the two sides for those? I mean, so Grand Rapids is more the Western side of Michigan, mm-hmm. Detroit and that whole area is more the the eastern side of of Michigan. What's the differences between the two? I would say, for me, the biggest reason I stayed on the on the west side of the state is there was there seemed to be more opportunity, more diversity in the in the industries that exist on yeah. the, on the west side of the state. The east side of the state, you know, being the headquarters for yeah. General Motors, Ford Motor Company. You know, Chrysler was there. It's so reliant on the automotive industry. Right? It still dominates, even though it's still still the dominates. area itself has gone through hard times, though recently, for sure. Because, yeah, because of uh, yeah, because of a lot of that manufacturing has moved out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I go I go back home and I visit and you know go downtown Flint and and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of vacant buildings. You mm-hmm. know, there's there's definitely some revitalization that's happening, but uh, you know, the West Side just has a lot more diversity in there opportunities from a career stand a career standpoint so a lot of aerospace and defense uh, companies on the west side of the state definitely a lot of automotive uh, manufacturing but you have a huge presence in uh, a lot of uh, medical and uh, furniture the furniture industry is very big on the on the west side of the state so just when i graduated college i went to grand valley state university for my undergrad in, uh, in west michigan you know, there was there was a lot of opportunities for me to to seek out. So I was I was able to quickly kind of move into my my career and didn't have the didn't think I had the same same opportunities on the west side or east side of the state to move back home. Although you you maintained your allegiance to the Wolverines, I see. So I did, I did. Yeah. So definitely, um, <laughs> you know, I was I was influenced heavily when I was a little when I was a little guy. Yeah, uh, my dad huge Michigan fan, but you know, I've been a fan my whole life and. Uh, Actually, it was it was a big it was a big debate for me uh, when I went to school because I uh, I was either going to go to Michigan for undergrad mm-hmm. and not play golf in college because I wasn't quite good enough to play at Michigan for sure, or follow my dream and play college sports and, and go play go be a be a golfer at a small D school, D two school in West Michigan called Grand Valley State. So I decided when else am I going to get a chance to to play college, a college sport. So I, I decided to go to the east or the west side of the state and uh, I, I played golf for, uh, for, for D2 school. So that's great. How did you do? I didn't do as well as I had anticipated doing, but yeah. I, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, definitely did not really improve my game from the time that I was a freshman in college until I ended college. Yeah. But definitely uh, improved you know, my social reach within the Grand Valley campus, we'll say. Sure. That probably, sure. Hindered, that probably hindered my, uh, hindered my growth in my golf. Game. So. Understand. So you took full advantage <laughs> of all the, the amenities of the local area. Sure. Is that it one was, way of putting it? Yeah, that'd be a good way to put it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you were playing college golf, did you play at any courses that we would know, like a, a general golf fan would know? I'm trying to think of any courses that are, like nationwide known. I've played at Torrey Pines. You did. So oh, I played okay. at Torrey Pines. Yeah. Southern California. Yeah. Played there. I've played a few of the TPC courses. Yeah. Down in Southern California and Arizona. Yeah. You know, a lot of the courses in 
in Myrtle Beach, but those are kind of a dime a dozen, right? Yeah. Everybody, they have a lot of those. So. Yeah. But, you know, none of the, I haven't played any, like I haven't played any of the courses where they, you know, none of the Augustas or Beth Page or yeah. none of the courses yeah. in Scotland or anything like that. But uh, those would probably be some of the more notable courses that I've played. So a good experience in college, but you were, because I looked, you were a finance major. So I was a finance major. What got you, yeah. what, what got you into that? Actually, um, even before that, when I first went to Grand Valley, I actually started as a as an engineering major, manufacturing engineer. Oh, okay. Or mechanical engineer. Sorry. Yeah. I spent about a semester in that program, um, and then decided pretty quickly that I did not want to be a mechanical engineer. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> and then so I switched my major to um, to finance, and uh, really, I, I so before I joined ABT, I actually spent the first ten years of my career in in banking and finance. Mm-hmm. So um, I um, I love numbers. I, I I'm not I'm not like a, a spreadsheet or Excel junkie by any means, but um, I you know I love to kind of dive into the numbers. And you know when we're working through new opportunities with customers, I definitely love to digest like kind of how we're going to be the most competitive mm-hmm. um, within our within our our cost structure, right? To to make sure that we can be competitive for the customer. You know I spent I spent ten years in in finance after I graduated from Grand Valley and. Um, you know, within banking um, with a couple different companies, you know, kind of just decided that that's not where I wanted to stay when I grew up, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, I kind of got to the point after nine or 10 years uh, within that industry that I guess I had kind of a calling back to manufacturing a little bit from my roots back in Flint and uh, knew that I wanted to, to go somewhere and work in an industry that I could, you know, build product or be part of building product that I could be proud of. Like yeah. just to kind of, kind of sounds a little sentimental, but like, I just, I, I remember the, the pride my dad had when, uh, you know, when he worked on the line at General Motors and although there was always complaints, right. But he was, he was just proud. He'd see trucks that were on the road that he was part of building. And he was, he was always proud of that when I was a little guy, like pointing it out, like, Hey, you know, that's built in the factory I work in. Yeah. So I, I, I decided actually, uh, to kind of move out of the banking industry and went back, went back to school, uh, went back to school actually at Michigan finally, yeah. um, and, and got my grad and went back to graduate school to yeah. get uh, a degree more focused on like organizational leadership and manufacturing mm-hmm. to get an opportunity to move, uh, kind of move my career in a different direction. And, uh, so with no experience within manufacturing or aerospace or defense, I graduated from U of M with my MBA and, uh, ABT gave me a shot to just come in and learn about the industry, you know, nine years later, here I am and happy to be part of of, uh, the team. Right. Yeah. Here you are. I can understand, especially if you grew up around that, why it would be like, you feel some sense of, Hey, this is what I want to get to. uh, So I can do that. Now you say you got to Amphenol, but did they find you or did you find them? I reached out to them. So I saw a posting actually for, um, a position in their supply chain team. Mm-hmm. It, it was uh, definitely an entry-level position, but I worked in our supply chain team for about a year. Mm-hmm. It ended up being probably the best entry point that I could have had into the manufacturing environment right. because, you know, number one, I got to learn about our system and our ERP system and, and how that kind of drove the engine. It was yep. the engine that drove, you know, everything within our factory. But then I just I got to learn about our products really from the ground up, you know, buying the, the widgets and things that go into the product. It allowed me to understand what the product was that we were building before I moved into more customer facing roles. So mm-hmm. 
I, I ultimately, you know, knew that I wanted to move into a more customer-facing role um, eventually within within ABT. But you know, in speaking with the leadership team at the time when I joined, which you know Bob Burnett's our general manager, was part of that leadership team, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, a couple other you know individuals within the Amphenol family. I actually was hired by Christina Cristea, who's the general manager now. I think of uh, is it Charles Industries? Oh I yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So she actually originally hired me. And, uh, you know, just talking with them about, you know, my, my vision of, I, I wanted to eventually be customer facing within their organization. And um, I wanted to find a place that I could learn about the company as quickly as possible and learn mm-hmm. as much as I could about our products so that I could, I could get there. And they supported that. It was a, it was a great, uh, a great decision that I made for myself to, to kind of take that chance with, uh, with Amphenol and, and it's, uh, it's, it's been great ever since. I'm glad to see it's paid off for sure. And I know what you're saying about, you know, your first year there and a great learning experience. I mean, I had something similar. My first nine months when I was at Amphenol Aerospace was in customer service and on a desk yeah. as to, to learn the business exactly to do that before I moved on to something else. And yeah. you have no choice but to learn the business yeah, and exactly. learn it quickly because people want to know what's going on. And it's... Uh, there was no better learning experience like you're talking about, learn the ERP system, learn all of that. Um, so by the time you're done with that, I mean, you're a whiz finding out what you need to find out. It was, you know, the best. It was like being thrown into a foreign country and saying, you got to figure out how to speak and you have no idea what the language is. It was, no it was great. It was great. And, and I'm eternally grateful that I got to do that um, because mm-hmm. then no matter where I went after that, I was able to go, okay. I have confidence I could figure this out because I figured out that, you know, language <laughs> at one point I, that was completely foreign. So I think it takes, it takes you a month just to learn all the acronyms right. in this industry, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that should be a training protocol in itself. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. But we'll, we'll step aside from work now, though, as um, we move on to what Phil likes to do when he's outside of work. Uh, obviously, okay. I know you follow Michigan football. But what else do you like to do when you're not working at ABT? I have four little ones at home, so they keep my wife and I very busy. How so old? I, eight, seven, uh, almost six, and three. Wow. So I've, uh, all three of them are in school now, and we've got one preschooler. So we do a lot of time at the park. We love to go to the beach and the pool in the summertime. We spend a ton of time just trouncing through the woods, you know, throwing rocks in the pond or yeah. whatever it might be. Like, it's just... Uh, whatever we can do to get outside and just run and just get <laughs> tired. So we're all ready to go to bed at night. <laughs> like whatever we can do to just tire, tire them, tire them out. And it exhausts me. So I sleep well every night because I'm, I'm on the move. That's fantastic. How about though? Like if it's just you and you have some, like, what yeah. do you like to do? So um, I mentioned, uh, you know, golf obviously was one of my passions when I was a kid. Actually, after college, I kind of quit playing golf for a little while because I just was a little bit just burnt out. Yeah. Um, but over the last probably 10 years or so, I've started to really enjoy playing again. Um, and, I, and, I, and I try to get out and play as much as I can now. Um, so and actually my two my, my two boys are starting to get into it a little bit, too. So that's that's fun. Yeah. Uh, I did a little golf league this summer. And then uh, I'm a diehard fisherman. I love to fish. Oh, so okay. I fish probably way more than I golf. And if I can just get outside and sit in a boat somewhere or sit on a shore or stand in a river, um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm a very happy guy. All right. That's a good segue then to our last bit before I let you go. If I put Phil on a deserted island, right, you're by yeah. yourself. We'll say you could bring a fishing rod with you, all right, and some okay. bait. You're by yourself, though. And I say, uh, along with your fishing rod, you can bring one album, one book, and one movie with you. We'll start with an album. What, what would you bring? One album. So I was a big Dave Matthews band junkie all through college and after college. Actually, my wife and I, pre-kids, we would go to a ton of concerts. So yeah. um, I would probably say the Dave Matthews band concert at uh, Luther College with Tim Reynolds. That that album, I love that album still yeah. today, and it's kind of my uh, my guilty my guilty pleasure that I don't share with a lot of people because a lot of people are like, but Dave Matthews, like that's so 1990s, and I'm like, well, I'm so 1990s. So. Yeah. Um, so that would probably be my album. I think, I think you may be the second person to pick that. I've had a few people oh, really? actually pick Dave Matthews Band. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, Ray Cummings was the last one, as a matter of fact. He picked okay. Dave Matthews Band. Um, <laughs> but I think there's been. I know there's another one. I think picked that same live album as well. So uh, you have some good company there. How about a book? Um, a book. Gosh, you know it's it's funny. This is going to be really random, but if I was stuck on a desert island, yeah, one of the books that like I have the fondest memories of reading, and this has nothing to do with work. Like if if I don't want it Bob to do with Brett, work, my, my, my general manager, you know, my boss, you know, listens to this, he's going to that's not that's not going to help you in your career. But um, <laughs> one of the books, one of the books I read when I was a young guy that I just I love the book, and every time I see it, like I actually have a copy of it. It's it's the Fab Five book by oh, Mitch Albom. Yeah, yeah. From back in the day, like yeah. I read that when I was, I think, probably a sophomore in high school, and it's one of my favorite books because that time as a Michigan fan, yeah, the Fab Five, or in it, and I'm sure Chris, you know, the Fab Five. Oh yeah, I remember well. Uh, Chris Weber and Jalen Rose and Ray Jackson, Jimmy King, Juan Howard. So that book, like every time I see that book, it makes me smile. So that would probably be the book I would bring on a desert island. If only they could have actually won, huh? And not called timeout. They were a lot of fun to watch. They were. They were a lot of fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, good choice. Good choice. How about a movie? We'll we'll end with that one. Movie. Gosh, my guilty pleasure movie. And kind of cheesy, but. Yeah, these um, are the ones I like. I'm already excited. Legends of the Fall. <laughs> okay. Brad Pitt. So, yeah. like, I Brad Pitt's character Tristan in that yeah. movie. Like, uh, a lot of my life, I'm always like, "What would Tristan do?" Right. So, like, Legends of the Fall, I think, would probably be my guilty pleasure movie that I would have on a uh, desert island. What would but, Tristan do? That might have to be the tagline coming out of this podcast now. There we go. <laughs> Phil says, "What would Tristan do?" What would Tristan? WWTD. Do? <laughs> we'll make some wristbands. Like yeah, it. We'll, we'll be good to go. <laughs> well, Phil, listen, I appreciate you taking the time today to do this. Always a fun conversation with you. I know we haven't seen much of each other in person over the last two years or so, but I think we will soon. So that's that's good to hear. So again, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Chris.